Hello and welcome. It's a new year, and that means a new season of Normandy FM. I am Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. Still can't fuck dudes. Still can't. Don't know why. If you want the TLDR for this whole season, yeah, there you go. Still can't. Can't do it. (laughs) Ken, we're about to dive into Mass Effect 2, which I feel like has been the build-up of this whole podcast, because as nice as Mass Effect 1 is, uh, I feel like Mass Effect 2 is really where this series became the thing that it is (laughs) now. Um, It's the one that people still talk about as one of the greatest games of all time right and so to go back and revisit it what we're on about nine years later now at this Mm -hmm. point um it's it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be really eye-opening in places i imagine Mm -hmm. uh it's going to be uh revealing of the state of the games industry both then and now Mm -hmm. and it's going to be hilarious because there's just hilarious shit happening all the time. So for those of you tuning in just now, uh, this is our Mass Effect retrospective podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened to any of our uh, first season where we went through the entirety of Mass Effect 1, I, I would hope that you would go back and listen to those uh, with season 2. And we'll be denoting this in the episode notes and all that. Obviously, this is Mass Effect 2. Uh, we have a preliminary schedule, but we don't quite want to publicize that yet just because certain things are still getting locked down and that's because this season we will have guests we will have people coming on the show to hang out and chat all about their favorite uh mass effect characters with us uh we're not gonna say any but one today uh and that will be i believe next week jay malone will be joining us that's correct ken that's i gotta hope so he hasn't said a word to me but that's, that's what he told me he wanted to do. So let's Preliminarily, so. Uh, Jay Malone will be joining us. Uh, f- for those of you who may not know, uh, Jay Malone is an old friend of, of Ken and I's, uh, who we all used to write for the same volunteer gaming site ages ago. We have stayed friends ever since. Uh, and don't worry, he's got those good hot takes for you. He's been cooking them up. He's, he's ready to deliver them. Uh, as far as the rest of our guests go, we have some very exciting guests planned in the near future, but they'll be coming a little bit further down the line, probably once we start getting into loyalty missions. Uh, so once we get that schedule figured out, we'll be sure to publicize that and talk about it when we can. But obviously, you know, we're working with people's schedules, so we got to be considerate to the people that will be coming on. But we also have some other changes to announce before we get into the nitty-gritty, and that is primarily to our Patreon. So for those of you who do not know, you can go to patreon.com slash normdfmshow. Uh, you can help support us if you want. We are not going to be gating any uh, podcast content uh, behind that yet. Uh, we just want to be doing the podcast, and the Patreon helps support us, helps pay off hosting costs, help helps take care of those things. Uh, one thing that 
we had initially decided with the Patreon was that we would take some of the DLC from 2 and 3 and put those behind the initial stretch goal. Uh, but as we got into Mass Effect 2, and because Ken and I are both very weak-willed, we have already beaten Mass Effect 2 <laughs> once. <laughs> Ken has beaten it. I am going to beat it within the next couple days. Uh, and so we will be playing second playthroughs while we go back through this. So we will, by the end of this, have played Mass Effect 2 at least two times, if not more. So... <laughs> um, but one thing we realized as we were going back through these games is that the the DLCs that we initially thought were kind of, oh, we can put them out there, you know, they're optional, but they're not really necessary, started to feel a little bit more necessary. Uh, you know, we didn't like the idea of this stuff being gated behind whether or not we were getting contributions to a Patreon that we felt was optional in the first place, uh, that was just there to help us offset some of the SoundCloud hosting costs that we have. Uh, so we we are changing the Patreon in that all those DLCs will now be a part of our season, will be added into the season naturally, and all these stretch goals as a result will move down one peg. So I believe the next stretch goal is Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to make me play Mass Effect Andromeda, a game I really don't want to play, you but can I do. head on I, over. I really want to play it. A lot, Yeah, actually. Ken's really excited because anytime you give him an opportunity to make me play a game I don't want to play, that's his favorite thing to do. And and we both, while we both share love of, of many of the same series, uh, I do tend to not like certain games in those series and then not ever finish them, and Ken gets really mad at me about that. Uh, <laughs> so... I'm be like that. If you want to, uh, if you want to help Ken in forcing me to play a game I do not want to play, uh, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash/NormyFM. Pitch in however much you want. Pitch in a dollar a month. It all helps towards uh, just paying off the the SoundCloud hosting. Uh, it helps us offset some of the costs that we do in in just making this every week, and it would potentially open us up to do more stuff down the line. Uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, please support us. With that said, Mass Effect 2. It's a video game. It is a video game. It is a sequel to Mass Effect. And we learned this because it opens right away with people talking about how awesome Shepard is. A bloody icon, I believe was the word that was used. A bloody icon. <laughs> it's, because, it's because we have an Australian uh, model, I believe, or actress. She's an actress, I, I believe, yeah. Yeah, an actress. She was um, in Dexter, I think. True. Yes, she was. Okay, that's contextualizing it a lot better for me. We are talking about Miranda, of course, Miranda Lawson, and the Elusive Man, which is the opening of Mass Effect 2, where they just talk about how awesome Shepard is, and then Shepard, we get to pan out to Shepard cruising across the galaxy, and all of a sudden, a big evil ship shows up, starts blowing the crap out the Normandy. Uh-oh, the Normandy's vulnerable, man. Oh, boy. So, Ken, the, the thing that initially grabs me about Mass Effect 2, just coming hot off Mass Effect 1, uh, everything is much grander. And I don't mm. even mean that in the sense of scale and that, like, bigger ships and stuff, but, like, things that would have normally been 
awkward conversations between two static right models and stuff are instead like these big theatrical things you have this whole moment where the normandy is being attacked by the giant collector ship and you have to first your i imagine it's your love interest comes to find you first and and then if it's if you didn't have a love interest then it's whoever your surviving human companion is because liara came to get me so i was like oh that that's weird um but I guess wearing Ash's sense. armor, so like that's not really fucking subtle by oh, wearing. Oh, he was but, he was yeah. wearing the the pink armor. Mm-hmm. That's super weird. Was Liara not? Oh, actually, come to think of it, Liara might have been wearing. That might have been like they were wearing Alliance standard armor or which is something like that. But I guess. Um, one thing I didn't like about this part is that they didn't do a good job of telling you like reassuring you whether or not your crew was aboard and if they you know also were on escape pods and stuff because while this whole thing was happening i was like wow they don't really show whether rex and tally and garris were still on the normandy or not um i believe that gets confirmed later but yeah like the only person the only two people of certificates you see are the the survivor or liara and joker although you do get to see uh pour one out for presley Oh, Presley. First casualty of Mass Effect 2 just gets owned by some random exploding monitor. <sighs> Look, dude, that, that's that's what you get for being so spacist, man. That's, that's what happens. That's what, that's what happens. <laughs> Comes back around. <laughs> Gonna get clapped by that monitor. Um, so, uh, there's this whole sequence where you have to go from the bottom of the Normandy all the way up to where Joker is because you're trying to get everybody off the ship. And the part where you step out into mm-hmm. the, uh, I guess you would call the vacuum of space and everything just goes quiet. And yep. there's all this stuff hovering around you and you can see the planet nearby and that was the holy crap moment for me. Mm. And I mean, back when I played this game and even now, that sort of thing might seem more commonplace now to have that sort of wow moment at the beginning, but it's still pretty freaking good. <laughs> like, yeah. just that that moment where you're like, oh god, right, we're in the middle of fucking space out here. Yeah, especially with that jump in technology that they clearly had like it was over the course of, like I guess, two and a half years of development. Um because that scene would have broken Mass Effect 1. Like, just yeah, immediately yeah. shut down the entire system. Um, that being said, like, you actually get to Joker, and then were you, were you nice to him, or were you just like, did you be like, get your fucking ass out of this chair and let's go? I tried to I tried to be nice because the, the Shep I am playing is a Paragon. Mm-hmm. So and this is the game where I am perhaps most concerned about making sure that i'm always choosing the paragon option until i'm maxed out Mm. uh so yeah i was still kind of nice and stuff just because i I didn't want to risk losing any potential points yeah i was too because i like this is part part of where i start to generally start leaning more paragon as well um and i was just like if i can appeal to joker's sense of like that the ship is already gone and dying is not going to save it right um anyway so we get joker to an escape pod and the ship blows up and shepherd is still on it and shepherd fucking dies man and that's the end of mass effect so anyways normandy fm was great uh thank you everyone who tuned in (laughs) um so the whole 
I guess you would say the setup for this game is that Shepard has died in the eyes of the universe. But unbeknownst to everyone else, uh, the elusive man portrayed by Martin Sheen, a.k.a. President Bartlett from the West Wing, I'm going to be making jokes about that <laughs> all season long, don't worry, Right. <laughs> was watching from afar and they took Shepard's body and reconstructed it. For two years, they dumped huge amounts of money and resources into reconstructing Shepard because, uh, I initially, I guess, reasons, because when, when Shepard wakes up, and, and and this is something that they get told later, but they're told that it's the Collectors, and, and that's the reason why they wanted to keep Shepard around, was that they believe that the Collectors are a threat and they are working with the Reapers, and also that the Reapers are a threat. Uh, so I guess the reason that the elusive man kept Shepard around was because the elusive man knows that the Reapers are a threat and still wants to fight them. Because, as we later learn, uh, certain forces throughout the universe don't want to consider the Reapers a threat, even though they literally just got their ass kicked by one. <laughs> so um, that's the whole idea of this game, is that you are kind of working outside of the normal constructs that... that that you're going through and it feels refreshing in a way like um i know we might be getting ahead of ourselves talking about this right now but um just the whole setup of okay shepherd has been dead for two years and all that like comfort that you might have had from having the original normandy and all the crew aboard it and stuff like that you don't have that anymore you've got to put together what you can and still try and stop this unstoppable force from the edges of dark space. I, it hooked me right off the bat. Yeah, I can. So this might be where we start to deviate a little bit because I've gathered that Mass Effect Two is your favorite game in the series. For me, yes. it is the one yeah. I probably have the most complicated relationship with, and a lot of it starts with this opening scene because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out the nuclear hot take real, real fast. Oh boy! Oh boy! I think the opening of Mass Effect Two is one of the worst sections of this game or not even just this game oh. maybe of the trilogy because huh. it encapsulates what I think is Mass Effect 2's biggest problem is that in the grand scheme of things nothing that happens in this game really matters mm. um, the thing about Shepard's death is and the destruction of the Normandy all of these like these, these things that were like huge in the moment they get erased in the first half hour okay and so it kind of from start to finish of Mass Effect 2, you end up basically in the same place that you were at the very end of Mass Effect 1. Um, you're like, you have a better ship, sure. You have uh, seen more of the galaxy, and you have like these other people that have joined joined you. But in the grand scheme of things, what there's not a lot in Mass Effect 2 that has a grander effect on anything, really. Um, like, you're not fighting the Reapers, you're fighting a servant of the Reapers, you're not... Uh, like, the threat, like, an immediate threat that's in front of you has certainly been affected, but in the grand scheme of things, nothing has really happened. So, boy, we're really going to delve into it right away, huh? Yep. Nobody's going to two. So, this is something that I imagine we will talk about throughout the season, because it is why I like this game so much, and perhaps why I maybe even like it more than Mass Effect 3. Um, are you familiar with, with things like... Um, Seven Samurai, mm -mm. Uh, the Akira Kurosawa film, or or like the the modern reinterpretation of it would be the Magnificent Seven. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, 
the whole idea behind all that is they all die. You know, right. they all, most of them die. Most of them give their lives. And in in the original Seven Samurai, it's, it plays out much the same way that only one, maybe two survive. It's It's been a while since I've seen the movie, so forgive me a little bit, um, movie nerds out there who may be listening to this. Um, but the movie poignantly ends with them burying their friends and walking away as the farmers who they defended from the raiders get back to work, get back to their everyday life. Uh, it points out a lot of the the ways that we kind of aggrandize, you know, death and the culmination of someone's life work. And it's the question of like, okay, what are you willing to to live for and also what are you willing to die for and what are you willing to give for somebody else to keep going and all those themes are very present in mass effect 2 throughout all of mass effect 2 um through the loyalty missions through the recruitment missions that those themes keep coming up uh questions of like what what mark will you leave on the universe and does it necessarily have to be something as grand as what Shepard does or can it be a smaller effect that still changes lives and still does something and and makes it for the greater good. So that's why I like mass effect Two a lot is because yeah, at the end of it, you did something that probably nobody will ever know about. It's not going to be storied like the battle of the Citadel or like the end of mass effect three. It's not going to be this great grand epic tale that will be told for centuries, but you did something and you, risked your life to do it and you did it because it could have saved lives and not because it was this grand sweeping thing um as for like what actually changes uh i do feel you a little bit on that uh so we get through this whole thing of um we we will get get to some gameplay stuff don't worry (laughs) um we'll not skip over too much but you do at, at the end of this whole lazarus project uh, mission get the normandy back in in essence it is the normandy sr2 uh and they do kind of go out of their way to say like oh well it's still going to have the same problems that you would have had with the collectors it's just better in other ways you know it has an ai now and stuff like that so that's neat um i i thought the the most effective thing out of that was that it was like okay cool here's this ship and there, I don't know anyone on it. It all feels incredibly foreign and familiar at the same time. Um, we can talk about that in a moment because I'm sure we have lots of discussion to go down about the Normandy and its crew members. <laughs> uh, but first, we got to talk about that moving and shooting because that's the first thing you do when you wake up from the Lazarus Project is you start moving and you start shooting. And Ken... Moving and shooting's never felt better in this series. <laughs> Feels real good. Um, God, just coming off of Mass Effect 1, first of all, like, Mass Effect 1 didn't have a cover button. Mm. And I didn't know how much I would miss having a cover button until I got it back. And now I'm not just, like, running into a wall and hoping Shepard decides to <laughs> sidle up against it. No, we're we're getting in that cover. We're vaulting that cover we move we do things 
everything feels I, I think I use the word kinetic to describe right. it uh, in our show notes and, and and it feels kinetic and also this might be a weird way to describe combat but it feels intimate like right. you are often up in enemies faces you are moving you are not kind of uh, I, I don't know how you played Mass Effect 1 but for me I I turtled down a lot. I would just kind of pick a good defensible position and pick off the enemies as they slowly move towards me. But in this one, I feel forced so much more often to move, to change my position, to alter the way uh, my teammates are positioned. Also, the teammates aren't stupid. They actually, like, take cover and stuff. (laughs) It's great. Uh, Yeah, it feels so night and day to Mass Effect 1. And it, it just makes me, like, as... As much as I appreciate Mass Effect 1's combat for what it was, I honestly wish there was a remake of Mass Effect 1 that gave it Mass Effect 2 and 3's combat. So, things that stick out to me about combat specifically are, one, the actual, like, there's actual sort of interesting enemy design in terms of the way that they behave and the way that, like, you're Mm -hmm. using your abilities can affect them, because... At, at, here at the Lazarus Project, you're shooting these mechs, and like they have different behavior depending on where you shoot them. Like you can shoot out their legs, and then they they still crawl. You, I don't know what they're expecting expect to do, but still, you know, yeah. Um, headshots actually like meaningfully do more damage. Um, the thing that also sticks to me is that there is a better way. They they do a better job of distinguishing classes, and a lot of that mm-hmm. comes from like these uh, class specific uh, abilities. Like as, you're playing Vanguard now, I, I believe. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So we got that charge, which is like still the 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 best ability in the game. It's the, yeah, it's so. I mean, when you look at Vanguard from one, it's so different from what two and three Vanguard is. I mean, two and three Vanguard became its own concept in and of itself. The charge shotgun Vanguard. Yep. And then Nova and three, which I I gotta admit I still fucking miss a lot. But it's just like it. And they, like the other classes, like the adept has the singularity, the sentinel has the tech armor, the infiltrator has cloaking. It's like they do these things that they give you these abilities that really allow you to define a combat role in a more uh, definitive way than you could in the first game, which I really appreciate. Yeah, it's uh, everything feels like you said so much more defined. I like the fact that they now limit what weapons you can use so there isn't that whole like oh well i could use a sniper rifle but i'm not trained in it and stuff Mm -hmm. like that it's like no you have at least for me as a vanguard you have a shotgun and a heavy pistol and a machine pistol and those are your weapons and you're going to and you don't have much variation on them i mean you get upgrades throughout the the entirety of the game but for the most part you really only have about three maybe four options for right. each weapon category that changes a little bit with dlc but i i never use the geth plasma shotgun because it feels super weird so yeah um it's you start to really get a feel for how you operate in combat and so i felt like i was spending less time going like okay well my, my assault rifle you know leveled it up so now it does a little bit more damage and so now i'm using this instead and Oh, I put a new modifier on it, so it's going to do something different. Oh, this is a different fight, so I gotta switch out this modifier. I'm spending less time caring about my own equipment and spending more time adapting what I can do to the enemy right. party makeup and and adapting to what the enemy is doing. And that alone is such a major shift that it just makes combat feel so much more 
vigorous. <laughs> like, yeah. There's just more life and death and doom and destruction. And it's great. Yeah. Um, on the uh, on the side of like powers and squad makeup, though, I feel like they really really neutered the squad mates. Um, cause like, I feel like some of them are overpowered and some of them are underpowered. Yeah, like even starting out with these first two, Jacob has a basically one of the most useless possible ability sets I've seen it's in these games. Real bad, like real terrible. Pull and incendiary <laughs> ammo, and then once he later in the game he gets a uh, barrier, which literally means nothing if you're like barrier specifically means nothing unless you're using it. So like they they I guess they do it that way so like you can unlock it later for Shepard and use it that way. Um, I don't know. Like it's compared to Miranda, the other the other person that you get here, who has probably the best move set in the game. Because holy crap, like yeah. she's got warp and overload, so she can take out either shields or barriers and armor, and like she's basically suited for anything. Like, why would you have anybody else in your party for like at least half the game? And a lot of that comes from like the amount of squad mates that they have. Like they have like if you have DLC, you can have up to twelve squad mates. So, like, I guess they want to make them varied in some ways. And they change it up a little bit because, um, at least, so, the the two DLC squad mates who, by the way, fun fact, uh, we probably don't didn't need to talk about this until next week, but um, I didn't get the opening cutscene for when you get Zaid. I got it for Kasumi because I went to go specifically recruit Kasumi, like, very early on because I'd never played any of the Kasumi DLC before this and so i was really looking forward to having her in my squad uh but i think i went to omega and stopped there for the night and and like saved and quit and when i came back zaid was just in my party like i didn't have the whole thing where you walk up to him on omega and say hi and he's like oh hey i'm I'm in your squad now i'm old and angry (laughs) and um i he just like showed up and i was like this is really strange. Anyway, so again, I will mention that I am playing this on PC while Ken is playing this on the 360 as it was originally intended, as God intended for you to play Mass Effect. Um, and I will say very early on that while this is a better overall port than the first game, uh, I have had significantly more bugs and crashes and glitches than the first game. Oh, wow. So, yeah, um, all very recently, too. I was telling you about this um, the other night. I was playing a mission, and it just hard crashed my whole PC. I had to restart my PC, which I have not had to do in a very long time. Uh, I have a pretty good rig for you computer heads out there. I've got uh, an early-stage i5 and a GTX 970. Yes, all of those words. It's it's very up to snuff. Um, And, yeah, it's... I, I had a I, I did Kasumi's loyalty mission the other night and somehow I stepped weird onto a bench and got onto a piece of geometry that was above all the other like people in the area and I was just kind of walking out of bounds <laughs> and yeah random stuff like even in I you can probably replicate this on the 360 I would bet if you go into Morden's lab uh, later on. Well, we're really just spoiling everything. Yep. I'm sorry if you haven't played Mass <laughs> Effect 2 yet. <laughs> um, if you go into the lab later and you kind of look at him and then walk backwards, you can step up onto the table and poke your head through the top of the Normandy, which is, like, super strange. <laughs> um, yeah. There's 
there's weird stuff in this game. But um, like you mentioned, so another big change that happens in this game is that they I feel they really slim down on the choices you have to make as far as uh, leveling things up because you're not leveling up individual weapon categories anymore. That's relegated to uh, your resources and scanning right. and, and research. So instead, you're, you just have whatever abilities. So usually everybody has an ammo ability and a either an ammo ability and an actual ability and then their own like personal one that just ups their stats. Or they'll have two, like Miranda has two abilities and a personal one. Uh, I don't think many other characters besides her have that mix, which makes, it, which is why she's so good. Uh, because as much as I love incendiary ammo, it it does get kind of pointless once you can level it up and make it so you can give your whole squad right. incendiary ammo, which I didn't do anyways. I, I gave him the the heavy ammo instead, but. <laughs> um, the that's a big change because i feel like it just lets them focus more on making those abilities really stand out and also letting you feel like you have really cool abilities right away like the the heavy charge is rad and i love it and of course it's like the first thing i got but uh just the other night i finally maxed out shockwave Mm -hmm. and when you get maxed out shockwave that thing is like a freight train of biotics slamming down the corridor towards people who are just like oh fuck you know like yeah. i i'd forgotten how good, good i'd forgotten how good shockwave was in mass effect 2 because it is nothing like that in mass effect 3 yeah and it's i mean it literally just like sends people flying if they don't have shields or armor it just yep. literally sends them flying um and, and it's there's just a lot of stuff like that in this game where it feels like abilities have so much more i mean in mass effect 1 it was usually the craziest thing you would see is every once in a while, you know, like a geth would go floating by because they got uh, lifted and they were just kind of yeah. <laughs> just floating by helplessly. But in this one, it's literal like bodies are flying everywhere. They even reflect that in the dialogue. You know, there's a lot of biotic users who will be like, I'll flay you with my mind and stuff like that. <laughs> and it they really made biotics feel a lot more powerful mm-hmm. in this game, which I'm really down with. Um, but those are all like top level changes but even at lower level stuff i mean the fact that i can like the q and e are adaptive and i can for me it's q and e i don't remember what buttons they are on the um on the xbox 360 for controlling your squad mates i think it's the d-pad yeah the D-pad, yeah um the fact that i can point my cursor at an enemy and just hit q or e to tell and that will tell my squad mate to use whatever available ability they have on that target is super awesome mm-hmm. like i don't have to hit shift or anything i'm just like okay their overload or their concussive blast is probably off cooldown i will tell them to blast them now and they'll still use that normally anyways but they will sometimes you know like hold on to it and wait for you to give the okay and stuff and it all the ai all the decision making just feels so much better in this game it's just it's night and day man i i enjoy combat in this game right. whereas in the first one it felt like a chore i had to get through right to get to the the talking yeah <laughs> uh which we do still do a lot of we get to yes. talk to a few people we have jacob who is a person he is a man he is a guy i he is a human he exists he as far as I know, he can think, therefore he is. Boy. It's 
I I was really willing to give this dude the benefit of the doubt that like maybe maybe it wasn't as like I don't know like the way we've got the show structured this season maybe like I should hold off on some of my my hotter takes on him but my god dude like you okay like you're here thanks thanks for the 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 incendiary ammo so I don't have to upgrade it to squad I don't know yeah like, yeah that's that's his one benefit is that you can give him this you can make him take the squad incendiary ammo instead of you that's maybe the one nice part um mm. oh um, and okay, in in his defense, at this at this point in the game, he's like a fairly, I mean, he, he's a guy, he's a dude, but like he's he does a better, he works better as sort of like this contrast to Miranda because he is this more uh, approachable presence between the two of them. I'll call him that. So here's the wild part. I think with this, so whereas they tried to have you know ashley and caden in the previous game and this is such a bioware thing and as as i've played more bioware games i've come to only realize it more and more that at the start of every game they give you two characters who are kind of intended to be foils of each other that will always be with you no matter what so you can't screw up and and kill one of them unless they you know on vermeyer they want you to but they they always have that set out because it gives them a baseline. You know, they know that there will always be this contrast within your party that you will have to decide between. And that's that's a good writing tool. I'm not going to say it's particularly bad. Um, when it does get bad is when the foil is not necessarily a good foil. Because here, I felt like we were supposed to have Jacob, who was the face, who was the agreeable person who, oh, they're with Cerberus, but you know they jacob's got a mind of his own you know he's, he's keeping an eye out he, he trusts cerberus but he doesn't trust cerberus right. whereas miranda is the company woman you know, she's the heel she's cold skeptic unfeeling i mean your introduction to her is that this this guy that you met while you're trying to escape the lazarus project station which all the mechs have been turned on you and are trying to kill you uh your introduction to her is him killing her killing him in cold blood and then saying like oh yeah he was probably the one who set this whole thing up and she's like i kind of got like a good idea that it was him but i'm not necessarily 100 percent sure it was him but it's probably him and you're supposed to be like oh man i don't trust her jacob's way more trust instead i just came out of it like man i fucking love miranda miranda's great how can i just party with her the whole time and let's get jacob out of here pick up a mech um yeah and like as a renegade Uh, player it was just like you ever just see like this person like you and i are kindred spirits like you you get it i don't have to convince you like i did gareth you know she knows she's been new miranda is the renegade that my shepherd wishes she could be (laughs) that she like aspires to like she would she would see miranda post like a video of her capping wilson on twitter and my shepherd would reply like "Yas slay queen" and stuff like that. <laughs> like that's that's who Miranda is. And like again, I had that moment, which is a moment that has come up many times in our show notes and just our general Slack discussion of why can't my female shepherd romance Miranda? Why? <laughs> why not? It's going to keep coming up, Ken. This right. episode, even why? <laughs> I mean, you get, there's Jacob, if you, you, if you really need something okay. right now. We, we will talk about this as the season goes on, but just to say it now, 
Uh, remember how we talked a lot in season one about how uh, Bioware tries to push you and mm-hmm. your opposite gender squad, human squad mate together? Right. Uh, the Jacob stuff with a female shepherd is unbearable. Yeah, it's like really bad. If I remember correctly, like when you do like the conversation initiated dialogue with him, she like has a very like sultry, flirty tone to what she's saying. Like I'm just more interested in talking for a bit. Yeah. It's it's like every time I'm like, okay, let's see if Jacob's got anything that he wants to, you know, if we got any more dialogue there. And it's like, Shepard will be like, I just want to talk. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and that's unbearable enough. But then Jacob delivers this line that just makes me like, recoil every time where he's like, um, well, slow down. We're going to, you know, we don't need to get to that level right now and stuff like that. And I'm just like. Oh my god. <laughs> I just, mm. It's so bad. I just It's it's like yeah, it, it it's like they were like, "Oh, hey, we're shipping Mass Effect 2 in like 2 weeks. Anybody finish writing that Jacob dialogue? <laughs> like, is, is that done yet?" Mm. Um, which fun fact we will talk about later in this podcast is a thing that happened with this game, but not with Jacob's dialogue. Um it's uh it's it's all just wild. Uh, but here, here they are, your human squad mates. I do want to say, to meet them. Yeah, I do want to say yeah. about Miranda real fast. Like, I, one thing that I really wish Bio would, would stop doing is scanning actors and actresses' faces to like put yeah. on characters because somehow, not only, not only is it kind of weird because like Miranda is voiced by Yvonne Trotsky, but also modeled after her like in the face, and so it's like. One, it's weird because, like, the model doesn't seem to move in all the right ways, like, compared to other characters in the game. Um, yeah. Because, like, her face, like, kind of looks frozen in certain places. Not not to the whole game, absolutely not. But just, like, there are moments where I'm like, ugh, like... Ugh. Where her cheeks are frozen, but yeah. her, like, jaw is moving. And yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that... Like, there are certain characters that don't suffer from it as bad, but it's just, like, it's always a thing that looks weird to me when I see this character that looks distinctly different from i guess like the game's art style just because like they look like a person's face um (laughs) and also with miranda specifically it makes me uncomfortable that they modeled her after somebody and then they have these gratuitous shots of her ass like yeah they do it and they even and it continues on to mass effect 3 like almost like a joke at that point where it's like i like did do you think that she knew that that was what they were gonna do with the character that looks like her like that's that's my question like there's a slightly skeevy like beyond just the way that they're treating the character but like this is a person's likeness that you put into your game and you're framing her in these really weird ways like the camera angles of some Miranda conversations are ridiculous like yeah in the loyalty mission there was one that especially stuck out to me where it was just pretty much like hey here's Miranda's ass you know (laughs) like in case you forgot what it looks like here it is um as it goes on it I feel like it maybe gets a little bit better but uh, once you start to actually get to know her, and this could be me like playing insane, crazy dude mind games, uh, where I'm like, oh, maybe that's what they want you to do is first, you know, all the camera angles like focus on her body, but then you start to get to know her and realize she's more than just her looks, which still doesn't really make it any better. So it's, yeah. uh, that's all kind of a crapshoot. Um, but yeah maybe the one thing that Hideo Kojima figured out with scanning real people into video games is that you shouldn't make them talk because that's when it starts to look really weird. So that was, 
I am ashamed of my words and deeds now. Hideo, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about Miranda, I imagine, because I think her story arc, while maybe not the most dramatic, is definitely better than what I remembered. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I ended up appreciating it a lot more than maybe some other characters that we have already mentioned named Jacob. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyways, so then we kind of get into it, and we're out of the fire, uh, and while we're traveling on a shuttle, uh, which normally, like, this is the one part that always weirded me out, is seeing that little shuttle in space, like, just traveling in space, because I was like, wait, are we, like, going somewhere nearby because previously that thing was just used on the citadel as like a taxi and now we're just like flying in open space in it do we have enough fuel to actually get anywhere this thing's like the size of a buick (laughs) so um anyways that part always weirded me i just need to mention it um we we kind of get introduced the fact that there has been a time skip it's been two years since shepherd quote-unquote died uh and so this is the part where you get like a little comic i guess if you have the dlc which comes with buying the game on pc so i had it um which is kind of neat i guess they did that because i I think it was added because mass effect 2 i believe or maybe it was mass effect 3 was on a system that didn't have any of the prior games on it so they they added that stuff in so that people could get caught up also because i think mass effect 2 was just a lot like it was a bigger impact than Mass Effect 1 was. Right. So they were kind of like, oh, well, there are probably going to be a lot of dumbos out there who pick up two who were like, I don't need to play the first game. We should probably have something in there that's at least like, hey, the Reapers. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the story. Um, yeah, that was all kind of wild. Uh, but then they kind of go through a, a segment where they affirm the choices that you made in one i always thought this section was kind of weird because i i think this was what they originally had for if you were playing mass effect 2 but did not uh play mass effect 1 and or or you didn't import a save which i'm going to be doing soon because i'm going to for reasons we will discuss later uh be playing through this game again as a dude chef this time uh, and i won't be importing a mass effect 1 save because i ain't got time for that so uh <laughs> I'll be I'll be going through that, so I will have further information for that later. But uh, if you already have a save imported, they're just kind of like, "Hey, remember how you left somebody to die on Vermeer? That was wild, wasn't it? Man, that got kind of weird." <laughs> and that whole this whole car ride segment feels really weird if you have yeah. imported a save. I think the the one thing that I know just from like knowing the way that these games work, I know specifically the last question they do, which is they talk about who you. Um, recommended to be on the council i know that they do that to like you're, you're basically picking it again because the save file of mass effect one that you import ends mm-hmm. after you feed after you finish off the husk Saren. so like the the actual save transfer doesn't have who you pick so like that's like if you wanted if you had some sudden remorse for picking udina you you can pick anderson and no one will be the wiser so this is maybe the one part that that caught me a little bit um so it listeners of the show will recall that at the end of mass effect one i declined to choose and i said i'll i'll let everybody else figure it out i got other things to do i'm not going to choose who our ambassador is going to who our counselor is going to be 
they forced me to choose in this game. Yeah. They they were straight up like, nope, you got to pick Anderson or Adina. But they phrased it as like, who did you pick? Right. Which was super weird to me because I was like, no, I like intentionally abstained. And now you're like, nope, got to make a choice. Well, now you know what? So uh, I still picked Udina. <laughs> All right. I mean, Look, I'm going to end up with Udina too anyway, but that's a story for Mass Effect 3. Um. Anyways, so... After we get through all this, we get to meet President Bartlett, the elusive man, <laughs> uh, himself, Martin G. God, he's so he was such a good pick for this. Right. Like, of of all the star power you're going to get for this game, and, and he looks nothing like actual Martin Sheen. Like maybe in the face, right? But like everything else looks nothing like like Martin Sheen. I love you, dude, but but you're not hitting the gym that often. <laughs> um, but. Look, I, I'm not either. <laughs> uh, but his voice is so good. He even, like, I, I 100% guarantee you he was actually smoking wherever he recorded this. Because I, I feel like the entire time... You can, time, like, hear it. I feel like the entire time we do this podcast, it's just me, like, me bringing up trivia like a fucking nerd. But it, since Martin Sheet does not smoke, what he would do in lines where he was, uh, late looks man smoking, is he would put a pen in his mouth. Huh. And so, like, it would be able to like emulate the sound of like speaking while you have a cigarette in your mouth interesting i, I know job, so, i know sheen. i know so much weird shit about these games like good job martin sheen you, you sold it then you sold me on it um so this kind of sets up the whole you know i i don't want to call it the conflict because the main conflict is between you and the collectors but you're basically making a deal with the devil throughout this game that right. you're like okay we both know that the reapers are bad but we disagree regardless of whether you're paragon or renegade shepherd disagrees with cerberus and does not want to work with cerberus uh at least at the beginning I, like there's maybe like sort of a warming up arc throughout the whole game but that's there what we there kind of is but i would say even in later missions that stuff like the 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 ship that you have to go mm. to and stuff like that they kind of maybe start to disagree a lot. Uh, anyways, <laughs> we're cannibalizing our own content again. Um, but that, this is the whole setup where it's like, okay, well, you're the only one that cares and who who still gives a shit. And everybody else thinks I'm dead. So I can try. He's. I like that he basically gives the option, like, you can try to contact the council. I mean, you can see what they say because he knows what they're going right. to say. Um, he just plays such a good guy who you know is going to turn on you. You just don't know when and stuff like like right. he's he's so good. I love the elusive man, but he does give you back one very important thing, Joker. I thought you were going to say and, the normal and I was about to say nah, Joker. Yeah, it's no, it's Joker. Joker's the more important part. I mean, he could fly a Buick, and <laughs> I'm still <laughs> down for it. Um, yeah, you get the Normandy SR2, which is the Normandy that will carry us through the rest of Mass Effect. Uh, and, and Joker as well. And a whole bunch of new crew members. Yeah. So, before we get there, isn't it great to see Joker again? It is. I, like, I get so happy every time I see him. He's just like, hey, Commander, just like old times, right? And I'm like, you fucking know it, man! And I'm like, you can walk? <laughs> I mean, barely. <laughs> I, like, completely forgot that Joker can actually walk throughout, yeah. <laughs> throughout all of Mass Effect 1. I was like, oh, yeah, he's wheelchair-bound or something, I guess. So he's got that weird hollow bones disease, so 
uh yeah no he can walk it just apparently causes him immense pain all the time you get joker back and you get dr chocolate back who's also great i love dr chocolate yes um her side mission is so good so good yeah um and then you get some other crew members so i know one that you're particularly eager to talk about ken uh is one uh yeoman kelly chambers So, in, in in tradition of this episode, I'm going to put out another huge nuclear take. Kelly Chambers is the worst fucking character in the Mass Effect series. Maybe the worst oh. character that Bioware has ever written. In my experience. Hmm. And there, Kai Ling exists. Like, let's like put this yeah. in context. Like, Kai Ling <laughs> is a character who exists in the Mass Effect universe. And Kelly Chambers is the worst fucking character in Mass Effect. So... God, where do you even start? I, I do kind of feel like I want to I want to cover her in this episode, so we never have to fucking talk about her again. Okay, okay. So for context, Kelly Chambers is this character who basically plays the role of Shepard's secretary. She uh, tells you if you have new emails. She tells you if people on the Normandy want to talk to you. Like if there's somebody that needs to like initiate their loyalty mission, she's like, they need to talk to you on the on whatever and things like that. Um, a lot of times she's like, you got a new message. I check my email. There's nothing there. No- nothing. She's just fucking yanking my chain. Kelly Chambers. <laughs> fucking, okay. And then so like every time that a new crew, com- crew member comes in, you can talk to her, have like a very small conversation about them. Um, she also, and, and when she does that, basically tells you, hey, half the people on this ship want to fuck you. Doesn't matter if you're interested or not. Like, just, just so you know. Tally, the way that Tally looks at you when you enter a room, even though she got a fucking helmet on, how would I know? I'm, I'm really intuitive. I'm Kelly fucking Chambers, let me tell you. <laughs> like, and then she's like, about Jack, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if she makes advances on you. <laughs> Lo and behold, she fucking does later. Kelly Chambers, she fucking reads people. But the thing that, about Kelly Chambers is, like, she is so transparently, like, the epitome of how Mass Effect views sex and romance. Like, maybe... Like, one had its problems. Two has this like, if if Mass Effect One viewed characters as and romance as trophies, Mass Effect Two has to view like romance and sex as like the pinnacle of this fucking game. Suicide mission? Who cares? You can get your dick wet in this game. Kelly Chambers is here to remind you, because she is one of the only. No, she's let me rephrase that. She is the only queer romance in this in this game. And she doesn't even get you... She doesn't even get you, like, the trophy or the achievement. She, like... She's not a quote-unquote real romance. She is there to basically deal you just because she you can. She doesn't... Like, she can do that and she doesn't interfere with any other romances. She is, like... She's this dirty little secret of yours that even if you're a female shepherd, like, you can still do that. You can't... You can't talk to... You can't talk romantically to any other woman in this game unless you romantically are in Mass Effect 1. But Kelly Chambers... And she, even then, it's, it's kind of a... a yeah, we'll get to that, but yeah. yeah, it's kind of a thing. But. Um, she, like I said, she epitomizes that Mass Effect views sex and, like, borderline views the Normandy as, like, a harem for Shepard. Um, specifically, like, and it's, she, like I said, she has a queer romance that is clearly aimed at men. Like, she, later in the game, if everything goes well for her, she she comes up to your office or not your office your uh your cabin in like the same outfit strippers wear on Omega, like she. I, what frustrates me so much about it is that like, she is, this on, the only character. 
with that you can have any sort of romantic inclination with that has zero agency of her own. She has no story. She is she is there to be like leered at. And it's so transparent and so gross and I, I, I just can't stand her. I can't stand the way that like I, I I'm at a loss of words at this point because like she she frustrates me because it is so obvious why she's there and she never offers anything more beyond clearly like the check marks of like woman that Shepard can have no matter what. Mm-hmm. And luckily, she gets replaced by an infinitely, infinitely superior character in Mass Effect Three. Thank God. Well, and you bring up a, a good point, which is that uh, that is the only queer romance in this game. It's not even like Mass Effect One, where Liara was this kind of catch-all for for all Shepherds. Uh, e- boys can only romance boys, and girls can only romance, or sorry, other way around. Boys can only romance girls, and girls can only romance boys. Mm-hmm in this game uh and yeah it, it it just it i i mentioned something in the slack earlier this week where um so i was sitting there and i was like god tally's arc is so awesome and and it's it's so cool i forgot how much i love tally as a character and i'm so frustrated that i am completely unable to romance her just because i am a female shepherd and also there's like no other options for me to romance aboard this ship because uh miranda's already uh miranda is not allowed as a romance either um and i've been playing my my female shepherd as as a bi shepherd mm-hmm. um that is that is just how i envisioned her when when i put her together in the character creator and started playing as her in mass effect one i was like yeah. cool you know she's just kind of open to everything you know mm-hmm. um so now i'm probably looking at with this shepherd going down the the Thane romance path because I've never done that one before and Thane right. seems pretty cool. I've heard that's that's like a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm having to make a new shepherd just so I can see what the Tali romance actually looks like because that's the way it is. And I I understand that you don't want to making every character like pansexual is is not exactly like clever writing either, you know. It's good for a right. character to have a defined identity. But we're we're not talking about like oh we want every character to be like pansexual and just be open to every just, romance just opportunity. One. Like just have have that those options and especially have those options be like meaningful romances and not the shit that is pulled in this game with like you mentioned Kelly Chambers with the Samara romance which ends up just being this whole kind of walk around like tease sort of thing mm-hmm. that only ever gets brought up and- again in Citadel and three. And yeah, it's and there's like and we we're bringing up a lot of characters that we haven't talked about that we're not even at yet. But that's like this is more about just like a general conversation about the way Mass Effect Two views sex because I think again because of the way this game is structured, like I don't think we're going to be able to revisit a lot of topics like every episode in the same way just because of the way the like squad interactions aren't mm-hmm. necessarily contextual in the way that they were in Mass Effect One. But like Jack is a character who is romanceable only to male Shepard, but she implies in our conversations that she's bisexual and yet yeah she, like only a man can save this woman who is has a tortured past is the way it's like that is what it says basically when jack implies that she is bisexual but a female shepherd can't get near that and but she also like jack there's a point midway through jack's um conversations with if you're a male shepherd she asks if you're eyeing her up and if because this is about sex we can just do that now like we don't have to 
talk, we, we can finish talking. We can just do this. Um, but when females ever get to that point, she's just like, what are you after? What do you want from me? Like, not, are you eyeing me up? Despite the fact that I've clearly implied that I have interest in women to some degree. Um, I don't know, like, th- I love Mass Effect 2, but I think it is the series... I think this is one of its greatest shortcomings. Like, I, like again, like, this is... I feel like Mass Effect 2 is Mass Effect at its absolute best, and in some places, its absolute worst, because, like, Mass Effect 1, its lack of romance options, you can call it whatever you want, but, like, Mass Effect 2's, it is very clear who their audience is for this kind of shit, and it matters, like, and I don't, like, in some ways that doesn't get better in Mass Effect 3, because, like, a lot of the female romances in this game don't really pan out in, for various reasons that we'll get to, but... Mass Effect 3's romances are meaningful to the characters involved where Mass Effect 2, they feel like they are meant to titillate a very specific demographic. And I'm yeah. like, I don't have patience for it in this game. And that's and, why, that is why Kelly Chambers annoys the shit out of me because like, she is like the face of that shit for me. And the thing that also really sucks is like, this happens in a game where I feel like Mass Effect starts to also reach its best moments as far as having character intimacy and like actually delving into what drives a character what what you know makes them tick you know like getting to know them as an actual character because the loyalty missions in this game are freaking incredible like they're really really good even in retrospect like i i've played through some of them very recently we've talked about them but it's like um certain characters that return from mass effect one and uh and and new characters like Samara and Miranda have really good loyalty missions that mm-hmm. really open up and 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 even characters like Jack holy crap that's a really good loyalty mission that you yep. really get to learn a lot about them it's very um dramatic and effective and and it's extremely good and so to have all that and then you know romance which you would perceive as another level of of intimacy that you can have with these characters be this thing that just feels so toss away. Right. I I mean like I could understand it with a character like Jack, you know, where where that would be very much in line with her personality wanting to have only fleeting things and not necessarily be locked down, but then the lack of options here for people of of different orientation and just the general yeah, feeling that it's just this I they they tell you in the loading screen they're like you can get the Paramore achievement if you sleep with somebody, and it's like, that's a loading yeah. screen tip. <laughs> like, yeah, there was, there was like, on. a line with something like, uh, there are no good extranet dating sites if you want a chance of romance, you have to talk to people, was what it said. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... We will probably talk about it again closer to the suicide mission and stuff, which is the ultimate culmination of this game. Uh, but overall, yeah, it's... It, it's it's so hard to not compare this immediately to Dragon Age 2, which is a game where I have my own issues with its romance system. Uh, mostly that it felt like, and granted these are two different teams, but it felt like the, the knob got turned the completely other direction where everybody's still horny for the main character, but it's like way too much and you're like batting away people <laughs> with, with a stick. Whereas um, there are just too many options, no matter who you are. Whereas here it's like, oh, everybody's horny, but there's only a few options that you're allowed and they're not very deep or meaningful. Whereas Dragon Age 2, like, look, had really good romances. Mm-hmm. I still have fond memories of the characters in that game. Whereas 
here it's like wow they really um take some lessons from the dragon age team y'all yeah um so all that said the rest of the crew is actually pretty fun i like the the mess officer when i first ran into him i was like oh i love this guy he's so gruff and and oh i just out here i'm traveling in the stars and i'm gonna make some food i'm it tastes like shit but it'll get it done and i'm like man i love this this guy's great <laughs> can yep. we always have him and then the two uh the bickering engineers yep. are, are always We're clearly in too. love yeah, who are clearly there's there's a thing going on there, and and Tally has to later play third wheel to it, <laughs> which is also great. Um, yeah, so we, we get through all that, and we go on our first real mission. Well, I'll say our, our first actual mission, which is Freedom's Progress, where the collectors have supposedly just uh, struck a human colony there, and we run into a familiar face, uh, good old Tally face in quotes. Yeah, he's familiar mask, <laughs> familiar <laughs> bubble helmet. Um, God, it's good. To, I, I like that Tally is the first returning yeah. character that you see because she's not the person that you, I, I think, coming out of Mass Effect 1 that anyone would be like, oh, yeah, the most recognizable squad mate from Mass Effect 1. I mean, But I felt like there's also this... I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, she's one of those characters I'm always happy to see. And, and yep. granted, that's because she ends up being the one that is always, you know, palling along with you throughout the entire series and stuff. But uh, alongside uh, another character who I'm trying hard not to spoil, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we already have. Um, it's She's just a great character. I've always, yep. I've loved the Koreans. Like, they're my favorite alien race. And she is always, she has a very complex character arc where she has to go through a lot of questioning her original ideals mm-hmm. and motives. And you can see, like, or, the cool thing about her introduction is that it, it very clearly shows you that time has passed. Because the tally that you knew was kind of scared running for her life on on the citadel trying to keep away and she's capable but she's kind of still trying to figure things out she's very young she's very naive you know she went into that deal thinking that everything would be all chill and stuff and it it goes south on her and and luckily you're there to to help her get out whereas here she's like yeah i got a whole squad of marines with me in command yeah yeah and, and she's just straight up like fuck yeah you know we're here doing it and and um there is one weird part, and it is perhaps a sticking point for you especially, because uh, you note this every time you, you drop show notes in, um, <laughs> that her reaction to seeing Shepard alive again is is a little odd. Yeah, and that's kind of like a recurring, like I said, it's, re- it's a recurring thing kind of throughout the game, except for maybe like one, maybe two exceptions. Um, I don't know, like it feels like it, they the game doesn't breathe enough to like let that moment sink in that oh shit this person that I thought was dead for two years is suddenly back alive like nope we gotta get back to the game we gotta get back to shooting things we gotta get back to the mission at hand and that's that that part's like well and fine but it's like I don't know like from a, like a general cinematic direction standpoint like the moment doesn't breathe and I don't think that 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 does not get better for mm-hmm. a minute in this game yeah, in in general, I I noted it that like this this game feels so much more fast paced in the narrative. Like the pacing's just quicker. Everything's happening much faster, and that's because things are like things are actually happening. Whereas in Mass Effect One, it was kind of like, oh well, I guess we got to go to Pharos and we'll talk to some people, and well, you got to fix your water. We should go fix the water and stuff like that. <laughs> and 
Um, here it's it's a lot more fluid. Everything kind of flows better. There's not as mm-hmm. much sidetracking and backtracking and stuff like that. Everything goes along at a much more straightforward pace. But here is where it definitely falls short where where you start to really feel it like, Hey, you know, I kind of wanted to talk to Tally for a little bit longer. No, you gotta go, gotta go. Um, and we get to fight some mechs, which there's a really cool part in, in this mission specifically where you're kind of walking along on a, uh, on a little walkway and they mention that there's drones incoming and they kind of zoom in and you see them kind of fly in and lands and stuff like that. It's a very cinematic moment to introduce this new enemy. And that's really cool. But then we got to fight those fucking Ymir mechs. I hate them so much. So I get I, so sick of these mechs. So I looked out in that the game uh, determines whether or not you can use uh, bonus abilities, which are like the ones that everyone gets when they finish their loyalty mission. Because like you can use one for Shepard. Um, it bases that on on your achievements. So like I have, I don't know which achievement it was, but like I I had the full thousand on Mass Effect Two when I first played it. So oh right, yeah, that's like one of the things they do. Where if you import your save, you can yeah, like keep so whatever had, loyalty stuff you had from before. Yeah. So I had Reeve, which was like oh god, yeah. So like I was already like I had Miranda, who has you know this, basically the super power woman who has every ability they could possibly need to get through a fight like those mechs real fast but I was at Reeve so like Jake was over there being useless but she and I were like tag teaming the thing fucked it up real good shout yeah, out I'm shout bad. out to choosing your ability through achievements that's real nice shout out to Xbox Live we don't mm-hmm. do it enough but the true MVP yeah no this fight without that really sucks cause you're kinda just like running around covering stuff and, and you don't really have the weapons to deal with it yet or the abilities yeah. that make later fights with Ymir mechs much less intimidating and if I have one issue with the combat Mass Effect at all, it's that while it normally does a good job of being like, okay, we're going to change this up by giving you different enemy compositions or they're going to be coming in from different areas. You're going to have to change up your plan of attack and stuff like that. Uh, here is the example of the bad combat design where it's just like, we're just going to throw things at mm. you. And like they, they do it in a later loyalty mission that really stuck out to me where they're just like, guess what? Here's two of these big Ymir mechs, and you got to fight them both at the same time. That sucks, doesn't it? And it's like <laughs> that isn't fun. Like that isn't an interesting challenge. It's just like, oh, now I got to kill two of these things at the same time. And they have a very basic combat pattern. You know, minigun cooldown, missiles cooldown, minigun cooldown, missiles cooldown. It's yeah. If there wasn't another enemy in this game that is maybe the worst enemy in all of Mass Effect, I would say that these guys suck. But by comparison, at least it's not that one. But oh, what damn. is... The Collector um, mm. Praetor, I believe it's called. Gotcha. Yeah, the the big guy. Mm, um, gotcha. I hate those. I hate <laughs> them so much. Especially in one specific mission, but we will talk about that when we play it. Uh and so we get through freedom's progress we kind of you know we we find the quarian did you give the quarian back to to tali oh, yeah. or, oh, yeah. or yeah i i did that as well i'm like it's it's tali you don't be and this dude's dude been fucking traumatized let's like not yeah. make it worse yeah he's, he's got the data he's got what we need we're good um and that kind of brings us to the end of freedom's progress and the game kind of opens up from here you're basically told like well we're going you know we're going to figure out what the next step is in the meantime you need to get a crew together because you're going to need more than just 
you know, two very capable people and Jacob to uh, <laughs> to stop this. And so uh, head on out. We've got some dossiers. I really, I really like the way they frame that stuff. Where it's like dossier, the scientist, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like I don't know. It's really cheesy, but I like it a lot. It's like the titles of a Netflix series that you're just kind of like jumping through. It's it's really cool. Um, and, you know, they kind of heavily again. It, it's like the first game where they heavily point you, say like, "Hey, you should probably go to this one first. This yeah. is probably the most important one that you can go to." Uh, but they they kind of open it up from there. So I'm gonna close it out with one thing I did do, which I did want to talk to you about. Which is the first thing I did. I went to the Citadel, not just to recruit Kasumi, uh, because. I, I wanted to see what Kasumi was like, what power she had and stuff, but uh, I went to go talk to Anderson. Yeah. And part of that is also talking to the council. And so I saved the council. Right. And you did not. I did not. What was you... So my conversation with the council was very much like, oh, well, you saved our lives, but we're still not 100% sure that the Reapers are even real, and that Sovereign could have just been, like, a really killer ship that blew a lot of shit up and wasn't, like, actually a Reaper. Or maybe that was the only Reaper. They could have been lying. We don't know. We just want to do our thing. Like, did you kind of get the same dialogue? Uh, Well, what happens if you... For me, it was the other council, like, the, the new council didn't want to talk to me. They, uh... I, I, logistically, they probably hadn't, like, made those characters yet, so that, and that's fine. But, so, and Anderson was the counselor, for, the human counselor for me, so the only person I could talk to was him. Um, mm. And he was basically like, they feel like you're gonna put humanity first, so, like, they don't really have any interest in talking to you right now. Um, and I was like, literally, I just... The only reason that I let the last one die is because there was a fucking Reaper... So Anderson's like, I can't really do much for you right now other than give you back your spectrum status. So that, it was very short, like, because I only talked to one person. I didn't deal with, I mean, there was obviously bureaucracy that I had to deal with, but not necessarily face to face. Um, and that's fine. Like, it, I think it's positioned that way because it wants to, like, I think the rene- a lot of the renegade in this game is sort of, like, pushing you towards Cerberus and, like, kind of being like, if I can't get shit done this way... I know at least Cerberus isn't going to stop me from doing what I need to get done. Yeah. I I also got my Spectre status reinstated, which so I think that's a thing that happens no matter what, but... Um, yeah, it doesn't... It does not if you kill the council and Udina is a counselor. But oh, you have he, full doesn't, he doesn't give it back to you? Mm-mm, nope. Oh, okay. Damn. Maybe I should go that route then. That sounds fun. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's... They're definitely setting you up to feel like, okay, you are not going to... Like, as much as you want the things that you had in Mass Effect 1, like, you're not, it's not going to be the same. You know, you're not going to be hanging around the Presidium and going to all these cool, like, you're hanging out in the Terminus system. So you're going to these very dangerous, very seedy places. And and they, in in the next episode, we'll be talking a little bit more about that and, and kind of the world building that they do. But I do really appreciate that they made efforts to try and take you out of your comfort zone and, and not have you like returning to Novaria or anything like that. Like you get to see more of the universe, especially the universe that you maybe wouldn't have seen in mass effect one. Right. Uh, on that note though, I think we're going to wrap it here. I don't have any more, more notes for myself as far as this part of mass effect two goes. Um, but as far as the, the game in general, I mean, 
we both obviously have terrible self-control in trying to <laughs> <laughs> portion this out. Whereas in Mass Effect 1, I was like, okay, well, i got to play through my segments for this week and stuff like that. It, now it's like, well, I that we both of us almost beat Mass Effect 2 in a single week. And now we're starting second playthroughs to get through <laughs> the rest of this. It's like, say what you want about Mass Effect 2, but parts of this game are just still so damn good. It, just, it, it is, feels it is so aged remarkably well. Yeah, for a nine-year-old game, this still feels like an incredibly solid video game, uh, which is really rare, I think, especially from this era of video game sure. development. I was watching uh, Games Done Quick the other night, and they were playing through God of War 2, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And that game has aged, man. Mm-hmm. That game has aged in many, many ways. Right. It was it was super weird seeing that compared to the modern God of War. Whereas Mass Effect Two, I'm like, this could still be a game that they make today that they could like come up with. It would be like more polished and stuff like that. But this is totally still something that could exist today and be really compelling and really good. So it still looks pretty good too. Like I mean, I'm playing on yeah. 360, so like it, you know, it does. Like there are some not so great textures and some animations that are off, but like generally it looks pretty good. It still looks really solid. I mean, it's Andromeda, for all its faults, was a very good-looking game as well. So mm-hmm. I'm not, like, too surprised, but also, you know, Bioware knows how to make a pretty game. But yeah. It, it's, yeah, it, it definitely does hold up. On PC, I, I feel like it looks about the same as it did on the 360, maybe just a little bit smoother. I yeah. haven't had any, like, frame rate issues or anything like that, whereas I feel like I might have had them in, in the original Mass Effects, but... Mm. Overall, very solid. It's a great game. I'm really excited for next week when we will be talking about Dossier the Scientist and Dossier Archangel. We'll be heading to Omega to uh, hang out some clubs to meet the one true queen oh. of Omega <laughs> and uh, and recruit two more people to our cause, one of whom is a very familiar face but until then thank you for tuning in remember to check out patreon.com slash normdfm and check out our twitter uh we are at normdfm show uh follow us there follow us on soundcloud on itunes google play however you're listening to us keep on tuning in keep on listening and we'll see you next time on normdfm Yeah,